Hi, I'm Nelha Chowdhury with Bloomsbury Radio, where we are celebrating this year's Bloomsbury Festival. Of course, the Bloomsbury Festival, as I'm sure you've heard several times by now, is happening from the 15th to the 24th of October. And today I have three lovely guests joining me to talk about their programme that they are doing as part of the festival. But I'll leave it to them to introduce themselves. So if we could start with you, Tara, could you introduce yourself, introduce your group as well, and the date of when your programme is happening? Great, thank you so much. Thanks for having us on. Uh, my name is Tara Viscardi. I'm the harpist of Nobody's Jake, and this is uh, Victoria and Sergio. And we are performing on the 21st of October, so that's next Thursday, in the Harrison at 8 p.m. And we've got a special guest, Emer McGeown, wonderful flautist, who's joining us on the night as well. Can I start off by asking, it's a great name. I just wanted to know who came up with Nobody's Jake? Uh, that was uh, that was me. Um, yeah, it's the title of a traditional of, a, of an old uh, English dance um, from um, uh, Henry Playford's Dancing Master. It's just a great, a great name for a tune. So I thought that should be the name of the group. <laughs> yeah, and we just went with it. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're getting used to it now. <laughs> Before we launch into your programme and what you're doing as part of the festival. I wanted to ask about the beginnings of Nobody's Jig. How did you guys come to know each other? How long have you been playing together? A bit about your background. Yeah, so it we, we kind of all met around the same time and we just became friends. Um, Tara started at the Royal College of Music at the same time that I started my master's at the Royal Academy. And we had both just moved to London. I moved from Australia and Tara moved from Ireland. Um, so we made friends and we thought, oh, okay, how can we, we'd love to do some music making together. And then at the same time, Sergio and I met at the Royal Academy of Music while we were studying. Um, and we just thought, how can we bring together these instruments? Um, how can we yeah, make music with our friends? and do something that we're passionate about that's a little bit different, that actually it's music we don't really get to explore in our mainstream education as much. Um, so yeah, it, it sort of started there a few years ago. Does anyone else have anything to add there? Um, yeah, for me, I was always, you know, since meeting Tara, I was um, always very excited about the fact that, uh, that she plays the traditional Irish harp, um, which I think is uh, fabulous instrument and there's all of this in my more um mainstream musical life i play a lot in uh opera orchestras and in, in baroque music and i play with other harpists uh very often and it's actually a very um popular combination of accompaniment from you know very ancient times um through to you know the baroque period um with harps and lutes i'm originally from mexico and actually, there used to be there used to be a lot of performances, clandestine performances of Catholic masses, accompanying by harp, accompanied by harps, lutes, and guitars, back in Mexico. And also, it made that combination of instruments also made it into the fabric of our folk music. Mm. So it's a sound that I I really love, and I sort of uh, wanted to for myself as well find a way to uh, yeah explore a different, slightly different facet of lutes and harps that I hadn't really done before. So this is a little bit of a fusion uh, a fusion project uh, where, yeah, I get to explore little different bits of uh, my musical life. Uh, yeah, with these uh, fabulous colleagues and um, with, yeah, the awesome Irish harp. 
definitely. And I'm really glad that you're kind of picking up on the fusion element as well, because it's already so fascinating that you as a group are already so kind of cross-national already, and you're bringing in your own influence as well. If I could ask you to talk a bit more about the evening itself, so the official title is An Evening with Nobody's Jig. I mean, there's lots of different influences here. From the description I've seen, it says early Irish blind harpers, 17th century French court influences, and also your original compositions. That's quite a mouthful <laughs> for me to even say. So to put that together, I mean, what was that process like? Was it something that came quite naturally or was it something that required like a lot of thinking in terms of how to put all of these different influences together? I think um, one of the amazing things is it does feel so disparate when you look at it on a surface level. But one of the most exciting things about this program is that actually historically the repertoire did it coexist um, within more aristocratic homes, within taverns, within the theater? Um, so the more that we've delved into the historical context of our program, the more we've realized that these sound worlds did exist in so many different spaces. Um, uh, an example of that might be um, the, man the manuscript of, Sergio, could you, Help yeah. me out because it's I've lost that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So when we, as as Victoria was saying, um, once you sort of scratch a little bit deeper into 17th century history, you know, we may have ideas of national styles and you know very sort of segregated ideas of this is French music, then this is British music. Um, but then once you have a little bit more awareness of it, you realize that it all actually feeds off of each other and coexists, as, as Victoria was saying. So there's this amazing, actually quite a few of them, uh, but there's this amazing manuscript called the Balcaris Lute Manuscript um, that uh, was collected and written in Scotland in 1701. Um, and rather sort of remarkably, it collects in this same huge tome, um, a lot of um, folk tunes um, and just general tunes and airs from the Irish and Scottish harpers of the time um, arranged for lute in the style of different violinists. Um, so there's already like sort of huge amount of uh, tra musical translation uh, going on. And alongside all of these tunes is the most sort of, you know, highbrow, fashionable uh, music of the French lutenists of the time uh in paris and and you know these lutenists were playing for you know constantly for and with people like louis 14th and louis 13th before then at uh, at the, the louvre and um yeah there's just um this real sense that this music that we think of as being so disparate is like high baroque classical music of the ballets and you know and uh, versailles actually existed in scotland side by side um, with, you know, some beautiful airs that um, actually eventually made it into the fabric of um, traditional um, playing nowadays. Yeah, and so that I think one of the biggest points about fusion for our group then is that the folk and the, the more classical Baroque, which we separate today in practices, aren't, are not that disparate. They actually are linked historically. Yeah, yeah. They, can, they can coexist. And from the um, from the Irish side, so we have the all these tunes, the kind of ancient Irish tunes from the early Irish harpers, such as Turlock O'Carolan and um, Thomas Connellan as well. 
um, and, and many more, but there uh, we play works by them in, in the program. Um, and again, they would have played in the the kind of uh, let, let's say the aristocratic homes in Ireland. They would have played. They would have played for patrons and written tunes for patrons as well. One of Carolyn's main patrons was um, Mrs. McDermott Rowe, and we play uh, the piece um, Miss McDermott um, in the program, or the Princess Royal, as it's commonly known as well. Um, yeah. So and then of course with the contemporary side of the program, the new compositions, we just thought it would be really interesting to kind of blend the old and the new. So we have kind of like some of our compositions, um, so some of mine and some of Emer's as well. Um, so it's in the folk idiom, but with a kind of contemporary kind of slant. So we thought that could be quite an interesting kind of mix in the program as well. Yeah, so it's definitely wonderful to hear. And it sounds like such a lovely night to be able to hear like hundreds of years of influence all around the world just kind of in one night and then also with your original compositions which Tara I'm so glad you brought up because that leads beautifully into my next question which is how did you decide on the original compositions are they ones that you had originally and just thought that you know what it, this would actually fit really well into tonight's or are they ones that have been designed specifically for this night? Uh, no, they weren't designed specifically for, I think it's, as you say, it's more so just, oh, this, you know, this one might fit nicely in this program in this moment in the, in the concert and um, just with the instrumentation and things that we have available to us as well. Um, yeah, well, definitely we're going to have some harp and flute and then also Emer joining us as a trio as well. So yeah, we're very excited about that. Yeah, and you, um, you've mentioned Emer uh, quite a few times as well. And that's another question I wanted to have. How did you get in contact with them? How did they come to be a part of that night that you're going to have as well? Yeah, so myself and Emer would have kind of worked um, a lot um, together since I've moved over to London. We've done maybe three or four things together. And um, she actually would have been involved in the traditional Irish music sessions in the Harrison as well. Um, I, and would have had, she's a big part of the Irish music scene over here and the classical scene as well. She's, we're really, really lucky to have her. She's a really um, wonderful flautist. Um, and just, yeah, a lovely person as well. And we're just really looking forward to, to working with her and collaborating. Um, yeah, it's exciting. Definitely. And I think we're really excited, Sergio and I, because um, we're through this process of, of bringing together so many different musical heritages and styles. We're learning a lot from Tara um, from your musical background as well. Yeah, and likewise, it's just, a, it's a lovely like meeting of, of cultures and musical traditions. Definitely, it sounds like there's almost a conversation happening within the music as well, which is really lovely to think about, like almost a language in its own right. But thinking about this night, of course, what the audience will hear is the final finished product. So of course I have to ask, well, how long did this take to bring together and what was, your original kind of approach to Bloomsbury Festival as well. How did you get in contact with them? Yeah, so um, we we would have met uh, JP Muir, one of the, um, I think he's one of the main program programmers at Bloomsbury Festival um, at Goodenough College. Myself and Victoria lived there um, for, I lived there for nearly three years in Victoria. I lived there for two years. For yeah. two years. That's where we met. That's where we met the first time, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then Sergio, you worked, you did a few projects there as well, no, didn't you? No, no. Sergio did a project, yeah. so he he visited quite a few times and yeah. Yeah, and we would have, and then we met JP there as well. Um, and yeah, he initially invited, I think I did a new wave recital initially and Sergio did a new wave recital as well. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of how we got involved at Bloomsbury Fest. Yeah. And did they approach you with a kind of like, you know, this is completely open, we want you guys to come up with something, or did they ask you for maybe a specific type of performance that they wanted? Um, yeah, it was it was very open. Yeah, I met with JP and he just said like, you know, just something you guys are passionate about. And I was telling him about this, this kind of folk and um, Baroque fusion group that it was actually quite new at the time when we when we were discussing um, this concert. And he was like, yeah, that sounds great. And then we were saying about bringing in the kind of more contemporary folk element as well. And I mean, you know, Bloomsbury Festival, everyone involved is just so open and 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 lovely to deal with. So, yeah, that was just the way um, the way it started off. And in terms of rehearsals and putting things together, how much time does it take to put in? Like how much time does it take to put in to create this night that's coming? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's sort of um, it's one of those things. Like some things take a bit longer than you think they might take, and some things take a lot less time. So I mean, a lot of it for me of the process has been uh, you know sort of communicating in different languages, basically than what I'm I'm used to. As really nice things. So for instance, you know. Tara, um, you learn a lot of your stuff uh, by ear and sort of harmonizes um, by ear, whereas myself in my role as a continuo player, so I, I accompany sort of semi-improvised accompaniments is much more led from a bass line. So whilst Tara sort of thinks from top down, I think from bottom to top, that's a surprisingly sort of different way of going about music. And it's uh, one of the lovely things about um, yeah, sort of learning about it um, and, and translating it into a way that uh, that works for both of us. Mm. Um, so it's um, it's not a particularly laborious task, uh, but it's sort of, you know, it's just one of those things you just want to play, play around with it a little bit and sort of settle uh, into a groove. Yeah, I don't think you can ever sort of be done with rehearsing because it's something we're so passionate about. Um, I think the pieces can always be developing and it's been quite special because I think my primary my my job um, here is to think about the text and the poetry and the stories that we're telling and a lot of the historical research and thinking about the context in which these pieces were performed or uh, for instance one of our pieces uh, is from the restoration production of the tempest and was inserted into that um, production of The Tempest to tell a different story. And so thinking about, okay, this was sung in the theatres in the late 17th century, what might that have looked like or sounded like? And how are we applying our sound to that? Um, uh, that's an endless an endless conversation and one of the most exciting things about these types of programmes, I think. And to kind of take it back a bit, you've all hinted, or you've all mentioned that you all have like a pretty strong background in music. If I could ask you all to kind of maybe give your individual stories, where did your love for music come from? How did you decide on a specific kind of line as well? And yeah, just where did that kind of passion come from? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I started on the like traditional folk harp um, at home in Ireland. And um, then when I was kind of in my late teens, like 17, I, I took up the classical harp. Um, and then I studied that for my bachelor and my master's as well. But I always kept up the, the folk element, which I'm really glad I did actually. 
Um, because, you know, along the way, people say to you, oh, these two things don't really work together. You need to focus on one. But I, I was really glad that I, I kept both kind of going. Um, and yeah, that's 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 kind of me. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, I so I, I was born and grew up in Mexico up to my teen years where I was playing lots of Mexican guitar and Latin American guitar stuff, which is um, beautiful. And um, and then I moved to the UK when I was 14 years old to go to a scary boarding school. Um, uh, and whilst being there, I was already aware of the lute um, since I was um, quite young. Um, and I always had a little bit of a bug for it festering somewhere in the back of my head. Um, and um, sorry, that's a strange image. Um, and um, uh, and yeah, so I, I picked up the lute when I was like 15 or 16 um, and haven't looked back since. Um, it's sort of um, a very rich um, sort of musical experience being a lutenist. Um, you get to inhabit about 300 years worth of repertoire, uh, which is actually quite a lot more than you would as a classical guitarist, sort of surprisingly. And you play on like a vast plethora of instruments. So for uh, this evening, I'll be playing on a French Baroque guitar, which is um, a copy of the one that Louis XIV would have known and played. Um, and on a Theorbo, which is a sort of almost two meter long, huge Baroque lute um, with, uh, you know, 14 strings and you know, thunderous bass register that is absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, very, very lovely lifestyle as a lute player. And um, I grew up in Australia and I was just really passionate. I just singing around the house all the time and loved theatre and was a real Shakespeare nerd. And then I went to conservatoire um, in Australia and here for classical singing. Um, and now I'm doing a doctorate at the Royal Academy in female performance identity in Baroque opera. Um, and what's really interesting is a lot of my reading comes across this type of repertoire, um, even though I'm focusing mainly more on opera in my main practice, um, this is enabling me to um, really get my teeth into other aspects of the art form that I haven't before. So yeah, that's kind of my progress. Yeah. Yeah. And if we dive in a bit more with that as well Victoria what is it about singing as well I mean you picked like as you mentioned that as you went down you picked like a more classical line what was it that pushed you into you know, that specific part of your studies yeah um I think with uh, the opera I uh what was so exciting for me is that it combined the two things that I love the most which was acting and singing um, and you are uh, able to craft characters and think about a context and a storyline and follow a character arc through. Um, and so I see these smaller works as sort of like mini operas in themselves and the character stories that you're telling are, are very sincere in this repertoire and very honest. And that's something I'm gonna try and um, get across at next week's gig, but really every every gig I ever do, hopefully. Um, so yeah, just the theatrical element of it. I also loved poetry growing up and did a lot of poetry readings and competitions and that. So 
this has enables me to do it with music um, in a heightened way for me, I feel. And similar questions for both of you, Tara and Sergio, as well. What is it, Tara, about the harp? Why the harp? By the harp um i just i just love the sound of the harp i love um i just feel i'm best able to express what i want to say musically through the harp like i played you know a bit of piano a bit of harpsichord and like some irish instruments like to whistle and things growing up but the harp was the one thing even before i started playing it just the sound of it like that kind of ancient early irish harp sound to the more contemporary kind of trad sound and then that classical sound the beautiful you know the the French um, romantic repertoire and then the, you know, Baroque repertoire and, every, you know, just everything about the harp I just absolutely loved. Um, and yeah, and here, here we are, I suppose. And <laughs> <laughs> so just for you as well, the lute as well. Why the lute? Yeah, the lute, I mean, it's um, a sort of amazing instrument in all of its rich, like contextual uh, richness, you know, it's, um, you go to, um, you know, any of the London museums and you're just sort of littered with amazing imagery involving uh, lutes in all sorts of like quite interesting contexts uh, and you know in terms of and that's something I, I enjoy with you know you sort of feel like you're holding such a remarkable bit of history whenever you're holding a lute and that's uh, very satisfying um, and also I think um, rhetorically uh, what the instrument represents I find very satisfying one of its great qualities that was so celebrated in the 16th and the 17th centuries is the fact that it operates at conversation uh, levels of volume, basically. So it was uh, considered almost like a form of speech, of rhetorical speech within intimate gatherings. Um, and that is, uh, yeah, it's something quite powerful for me in that image of um, of, you know, you have this power of speech through it um, and it's whole, you know, everything that's valuable about it is that it can only exist within some sort of blank canvas of silence, which I think is a beautiful image. Well, um, it's very clear that you guys are all established performers and I'm asking you about your individual journeys, but what is it like playing as a group? So comparing it with perhaps your own individual performances or just when you're playing your instruments or when you're singing alone, what is it like in a group dynamic for you? Um, yeah, I, I, got, I got looked at. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very interesting. Um, uh, yeah, as I was saying earlier, is this sort of, you know, translation of different languages. I, you know, I spend a good amount of my time playing in orchestras and, and in operas where, you know, it's sort of a little bit of like, go play now really loudly and sort of don't mess up. Um, and, um, and, you know, this is a, a whole very different experience. And I think for Victoria as well, you know, it's like how you use your voice in this different, very declamatory, very, very expressive style surrounded by really remarkably quiet instruments. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, that's like a whole, you know, it puts a whole sort of question mark into, you know, what even is modern training, modern education um, for, you know, in terms of, of, of training. Um, and it's the same for myself, you know, it's like, I'm usually, you know, playing pieces of high Baroque music, which you know, are pretty long, fairly complex. Um, and, you know, within this music, you are operating in such a narrow range of expression, so simplistic, and, you know, often the most simple things, it's actually what's hardest um, to mm -hmm. make beautiful and sort of, um, you know, find sort of 
heart of it. Um, um, so yeah, it's sort of, that's the really satisfying things of what we're finding together. You know, we're finding beautiful poetry, we're finding beautiful, incredibly simple harmony uh, amongst ourselves and, and you know, stories that, um, you know, um, span a great variety of locations as well, you know, courtly things, bars, theatres, um, and, you know, all of the context and baggage that comes with it. So, you know, it's, a lot of it is a negotiation of which baggage are we bringing where, you know, when I'm playing a Scottish tune with Tara, for instance, it's like, am I bringing my Baroque baggage and, you know, doing something unhelpful with that? Or, you know, is there something interesting there that can be found? And obviously Tara will bring her own baggage with herself. And it's that negotiation of, um, you know, what, um, what is it that we're, we are going to, where are we going to meet with all of our collective experiences as musicians? Mm -hmm. I guess well put, yeah. Yeah, it's right. Yeah, it's kind of compromising, but also being true to ourselves mm -hmm. and our um, different experiences as well. I think the groups allowed us to maybe express another aspect of our musical lives that sometimes we're not able to in other contexts. And because we have so much control over the programming and what we want to say um it gives us a place in which we can uh, we can craft craft an experience um together and we just get to hang out with our friends so that's nice too <laughs> and that live experience as well so when you're performing together is that something where it just it's at this point now as a group because of course you're well established now together is it something where like you know you can just perform and you guys know that you're in sync or is it a case that you're always kind of keeping an ear out to each other listening when you're performing together yeah I yeah think, sorry, yeah oh yeah i think it just um depends on the on on the piece on the day on the on the second in time i think i think we're we're pretty in flow together um but Sergio's point about negotiating is great because it's it's an ongoing journey. Um, uh, what were you going to say, Tara? Yeah, just the same. I mean, I think that like obviously we're like we're very we're used to playing with each other now. But also, I mean, the beauty of live performance is it's always going to be a bit different. You always need to kind of you're kept on your toes a bit because you're really listening to each other, and it, you know even depending on the acoustic, you can play around with that a bit and. It's just it's just that kind of in the moment, mm -hmm. um, the excitement of in the moment, I guess. Yeah, and you're listening to the audience. Who am I playing for? Mm -hmm. What context am I in? Yeah, that's a big part too. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, for me, it's very important when I'm playing live. Uh, you know, it's never going to autopilot mode. Um, you know, I feel like that's when things can wither a little bit. Um, it's sort of about you know keeping that culture of listening and nowness alive which you know can is what makes live performance such a great thing that we can do it again Yay. <laughs> yeah no it's just such a pleasure yes and that was actually going to be one of my questions as well so what was it like of course with the pandemic it affected the music industry a lot and live performance a lot what was that time period like you know we were doing a really it was really hard but but we had this fellowship um with the Wigmore Hall learning department, which was just came at such an exciting time for us. So we were able to do a lot of, um, the Wigmore learning department's incredible. 
in the work that they do. And we were able to do a lot of community and outreach work via Zoom, um, which kept our practice really fluid. It, it worked on our improvisation skills, um, connecting with audience. It, it showed us about, it, it taught us a lot about listening to our audience as well as listening to each other. So, I mean, that's a specific thing to what happened to our group during that time, but in some ways it was very difficult, but we learned so much and it was one of the most special times for our group, I would say. Yeah, um, I'm really interested to hear if you can like to talk a bit more about that community outreach aspect, because if like music helps people come together a lot, and especially during lockdown where connections were being formed online, what was that? How was the community outreach happening? What did that entail? So there were like various stages of it, depending on, you know, which bit of lockdown we were in. Um, so, you know, there were times where it was, um, well, uh, you know, sort of on separate little, little Zoom boxes, each one of us sort of, you know, engaging with our own instruments, with people. Um, there are other times that we managed to be the three of us in one room playing for uh, for a group of people. And yeah, within the Wigmore Learning Department, um, yeah, it's like a huge institution of of outreach. So we would be, you know, joining their um, leaders and doing, you know, either sort of workshop scenarios or, or, you know, just sort of musical gatherings or, you know, creative gatherings for uh, people at various different stages of life, you know, from young children to um, elderly people. Um, and yeah, it was just a good way to stay connected and, you know, make, make the best of a pretty miserable situation. Mm. Um, but they are, you know, they were you know, uniquely, you know, uniquely capable, uh, group of people to really make something actually worthwhile out of it. Um, it was actually incredibly rewarding. Yeah. Um, mm. we learned so much from, from them actually. And, um, it really in, improved our practice as well, not just as a group, actually, I think as just creative people and resetting our values as creatives. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And as there wasn't like too many performances actually happening for us all individually at that time as well, I mean, we could really focus on that work, which was which was really fulfilling. And you could see like how much the little musical interludes meant to the participants various sessions and you know there was little moments to chat with participants and things as well i mean we worked there was a brilliant project we did um working with um people with dementia and their carers and um yeah you could just see that it was really just kind of a moment of, of respite for them and just very fulfilling for us and just it just it felt kind of good to be useful in a way i suppose in that in that period because it was i mean obviously there was very low points well definitely for, for me personally, I mean, I think for all musicians, it was like a very difficult time. So that was just mm -hmm. a really lovely little kind of little snippets in between as well of, of that of that work. Yeah, I think individually, I yeah, I think individually, it was such a difficult time that the group was real, a real um, little shining light. It was, yeah, it was, it really kept <laughs> Which us. Which is the theme of the festival. Shining yeah, light. Shining light. Well. Oh, beautiful connection. <laughs> Yeah. yeah and it's so great to hear that the experience of course amongst its negatives had its positives as well and to just ask a question that's a bit wider than that as well 
what are your memories with Nobody's Jig together as a group? What kind of memories stand out in your mind? Not just, of course, with last year, but from all the time that you've been together. No pressure. <laughs> I have to say it is helping Tara and with her heart and Sergio with his almost two meter loot just get around London. <laughs> That's always I, an experience. It's so funny watching them <laughs> trying to commute on tubes and trying to, you know, hold loots and get get you guys across the road <laughs> with your <laughs> with your ridiculously large instruments. So what was the most eventful part of, of um, your guys' collaboration? Crossing the road with the instruments? <laughs> <laughs> That's quite an image to be on TFL. I'm sure our listeners will be able to take a kick out of that as well, to be on the TFL with like a two-meter instrument. People thinking, what on earth? Where are they going? Where are they heading? That's definitely <laughs> Absolutely. every time. <laughs> and are there performances as well that kind of stand out in your head? Specific performances, like individually, do you guys have a performance in your mind where you think that was particularly special? Like that's something I'm going to remember for a while. I think we had a, an amazing moment actually in the pandemic. Um, we were doing this um, workshop and, and, you know, there was this like wonderfully stressful moment um, where, um, you know, they were like, we were coming up with, you know, a little poem with the participants. And then um, this workshop leader was like, right now sing the poem, like make a song out of it. Um, and I, you know, and I just sort of like look around, I'm just like, okay, we're going to do, you know, a section, this chords, this chords. And, and then Victoria just looks at me, she's just like, shut up. <laughs> and then she sort of started singing and then we just kind of like started playing and then we just improvised this whole song. And it was amazing. You know, I heard that recording of that session afterwards and it's like stunningly beautiful, uh, little thing that was came, you know, was plucked out of thin air. And that was, you know, one of those moments where I was just like, ah, oh, that's really satisfying. <laughs> yeah, I think that comes back to being aware of, of who you're responding to and who you're playing for and with. And I think that's a really special thing about our group that we're really, sometimes in classical music, um, because it's such an amazing, uh, skillful, technical world, um, and we, in our own practices, we're always striving for this excellence and perfection but with this group we kind of have that ability to just go let's improvise let's see what comes and that's been yeah that moment as well really sticks out as a as a special special little moment in time absolutely yeah just kind of leaving leaving things a little bit to chance sometimes and just kind of letting go and going at the moment yeah and see, seeing what comes from that if you could say anything for the listeners who might be coming on that night you might hear this and come along what words do you have for them yeah, I mean, I guess just to come with like, um, just, yeah, an open, open mind, open heart and just take it all in um, and just kind of be there in the moment with us because that's what we'll be doing. Um, and yeah, we're really looking forward to it. So we just, we hope that other people will enjoy it and, and get something from it as well. We're just really thankful that we can be back and we can have an audience. And that's what makes it is having an audience, us doing it alone, is is one part of the equation having people there is what we're excited for so yeah it would be a real privilege um to play for people some really cool instruments so yeah <laughs> you won't be disappointed yeah. <laughs> the harrison's actually quite an intimate venue if i think anyone who was thinking of coming there's as far as i know only a few tickets left 
so do do get on that and then there are um there are live stream tickets available there's lots of those available i think so but we really love to have you there in person so um yeah do check it out it's wonderful so i'm sure some i mean some of our listeners might have already booked in by now uh, but you've heard it here 21st of october at 8 p.m. at the Harrison Pub, an evening with nobody's jig happening on a Thursday. So get your ticket, get down. Um, you've been an absolutely wonderful group. It's been so lovely talking to you guys. I wish you all the best of luck for your performance. And it's just so great to hear your passion in this interview. And I'm sure that passion will be the focus of the night as well. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely.